Welcome to the Civ 6 Challenge League podcast, your one-stop shop for Civilization 6 news, strategy discussions, and updates on what's going on in our community, which I invite you to join at r slash Civ 6 Challenge League. Whether you're a challenger or a spectator, we've got you covered. Remember that this community and this podcast belongs to you. It wouldn't exist without you. You want to talk about something? You want to be a guest on the next episode? You go ahead and find me, VectorCat, on Reddit, Discord, or Twitter, and let's make that happen. So that's the intro, that's the lowdown, that's the skinny, that's the deets. Enough chirping. Let's get this episode started already. Hope you enjoy it. Intro music, engage! Welcome back, challengers and spectators, people that are coming back or, you know, welcome for first timers. Uh, Vector Cat here, as per usual. And my guest today is primarily a Civ 6 and Dota 2 streamer on Twitch, but you can also find him playing the occasional StarCraft or Jackbox, if that's more what you're into. He is another one of the participants in the Civ Give, a nine-player fundraiser stream for Extra Life happening on December 20th, so be sure to check the show notes for the link to more info on that. He is a proud new puppy papa and the owner of a most righteous mustache, if I do say so myself. Ladies and gents, it's Bostheus. Bose, how you doing today, man? <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Good. I'm glad. Thanks for joining me. This uh, this should be a good time. I've uh, you know I've enjoyed getting to know you uh, in your Discord server, but it's the first time we've really like sat down together one on one. This is great. Yeah, I feel that's a that's like a common thing that happens, right? Is that you're a lot of us, especially in the Civ community, are any in each other's discords, and then we all talk to each other via chat, but it, uh, not as much via like actual voice. So it's it's really nice to to be in that situation. Yeah, and I'm enjoying this dynamic. I gotta admit, like the uh, the way. You know, it's almost incestuous the way as you meet people, you're hanging out in each other's servers and you're getting to know each other a little bit better. And then you see someone else from another server and it's like, oh, you watch them, too. Oh, okay, Like you're you're friends with them, too. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. It's uh, and I think that there's this a bit of a small friendly hub around Mm -hmm. you and your compatriots, which I'm really enjoying because y'all seem to attract the same kind of. Uh, follower and the same right. kind of participant just because all of your communities are so damn lovely. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's really, really great, man. So thanks again for joining me today. Um, it should be fun. So as with uh, all of uh, everybody else that I've had on, I like to start with just three general questions so yeah. that uh, listeners can get to know you and your Civ preferences a little bit better. Sound good? Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. Awesome. So the first one is, when did you start playing Civ? Oh, man. That's a, um, I guess if you call, uh, I mean, it is a civilization game. It's called Civilization, but Civilization Call to Power 2, which was 1996, I think, maybe 1997. It's not a Sid Meier game, but it's a civilization game. So I guess that would be my first civilization game that I, that I ever played, if you count that. Um, I would, yeah. And that's early. Okay. That's yeah, way that's early. early. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where um, I played it with because at that time I was let me see I'm I'm 31 now, 
So uh, when that came out, I don't think I played it when it came out, a couple years later when I was around 11 or 12, uh, and I actually had a PC, or the fa- my family had a PC. So around that time, I was playing you know, a lot of uh, the games that you could only play on those PCs at the time, You know, the ones that you would get from Costco, those, uh, those Pentium 2 <laughs> processors. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of like... Uh, a lot of Roller Coaster Tycoon, a lot of StarCraft Brood War. Uh, and then I don't remember where I got called to power from. It was probably a friend or a family member. And I played it and I, I fell in love with it. And that's when I started follow, uh, playing a lot of strategy games. And so that would probably be the first one. And then didn't really play anything until Civ 4 came out. Gotcha. Man, it's funny you mentioned Roller Coaster Tycoon. I've still got a wineskin emulator on my <laughs> Mac so that I can play all that, man. I love was... those games. I, people ask me all the time, like, what are my top five favorite games? Uh, you know, that's just a, something that happens uh, as you are a like a content creator, and and it'll. I don't think it's ever gonna move, but Roller Coaster Tycoon Two is in my top five. I don't know which position, but Roller Coaster Tycoon Two is probably like the perfect theme park amusement simulator. Uh, even to this day, like I think it's just like the perfect game, at least for me. I I couldn't agree more. Like Roller Coaster Tycoon One got me mm-hmm. hooked. I mean, it really did. It was the right. the great gateway. But Roller Coaster Tycoon was so flippin' good. And I don't know about you, but Roller Coaster Tycoon 3, I don't know. They flew too close to the sun, man. Yeah, I don't. I didn't like it. I, I played maybe... Cause I, I don't know how many hours I have in, in uh, the original, you know, all of its expansions, and then Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. Uh, but I maybe played like 50 hours of 3, and I just couldn't... It, I, I th- there's something special about the isometric viewpoint um, that makes it really unique and feel. It almost feels more realistic than than the 3D version of, of Roller Coaster Tycoon 3, if that makes sense. Like almost more immersive, even though that's what they were going for in, in 3. <laughs> I agree, and it sounds counterintuitive on the surface to say, right. right? But it does seem to ring true with a lot of players. Uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 has its own uncanny valley in a way. Yes. That, you know, there's just something so del- delightful about that art style that, right. you know, Roller Coaster Tycoon 2 seemed to refine coming mm-hmm. from 1 to 2. They didn't right. abandon it. And then 3 was just too far of a leap. Exactly. And uh, not, to, not to continue to derail outside of the Civ conversation, but if I don't know if you've played it or have seen it, but I would highly recommend Parkitect as a modern version of, of Roller Coaster Tycoon. It's oh, okay. a fantastic I gotta game. check that out. No, thank it you. It is it's it's isometric view, but you can also like rotate the camera to be, you know, any any view, but it's isometric view, um, kind of a cute art style, very similar build style where you know you build the pieces one by one and you and you select which way you want to go instead of if you haven't played Planet Coaster, you know, it's 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 kind of like Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 where everything is moldable, moldable and almost you almost have too much um, freedom in the game. So yeah. I would highly recommend Parkitect because Indie Company made it. They're like super active with the community. Their, their Reddit is great. They do a lot of like kind of similar to the uh, Challenge League. They do the same type of thing in Parkitect where every month they'll post it on the main menu of their game saying like, Here's our October challenge, you know, build this type of roller coaster in the sandbox mode, this amount of money, you know, and, you know, make the best type of coaster you can. It's really cool. It's really a lot of fun. Probably one of my favorite games in the last couple of years. Oh, this is right up my alley, man. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
So migrating back to Civ just a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, do you have a favorite leader or play style? Oh, yes. Uh, I am I am kind of known for being the domination person. Uh, I, For a long time, I didn't play culture games because I thought they were boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, you have on your uh, Twitch page... I'm both Zeus and I like to take over other civs and civ six. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I'm definitely a, uh, domination favored player. Um, I, I've gotten a lot better at like culture. Um, especially, you know, I'll play science because you can still do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, warmongering while you're going to space. Um, but with culture for a long time, I, I, that's how I played in civ five was domination. Um, and so in, in civ six, that kind of carried over and, and with that, like culture, you really you like, especially on deity, you honestly can't afford to to go domination that much. Um, and so w- with that, it was yeah, Civ. Sorry, uh, with that, domination is my my definite definite play style, like for sure. Um, and when it comes to favorite leaders, um, even so, even though like one or two of them aren't inside the domination factor, uh, I actually have my favorite like favorite leaders off the top of my head are uh, Poundmaker actually of the Cree. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon Bolivar. I mean, pretty standard <laughs> domination. <laughs> yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cleopatra, um, Bullmoose Teddy, and then now, uh, I love Byzantium. So those are those are my top five off the top of my head. Gotcha. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun later on in this episode. Then it right. sounds like yeah, that's that's really good fodder for discussion. I have fallen so deeply in love with Bullmoose Teddy. It's not even. Oh funny. yes, Bullmoose Teddy is. Whew, very good. Yeah, I definitely feel you there. But it's it's interesting that that's on your list because I would rank I would rank him pretty far on the list of leaders that are antithetical to any kind of domination play. Yeah, exactly. I think it came about the around the time that I was learning to like heavily do culture to try to get really fast culture wins. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, this is right around the time that that bull moose Teddy came out. Um, and with Bull Moose Teddy and the Secret Societies mode, uh, you can kind of, it's not, not to say that it's cheating, but it feels like cheating with his national parks. Um, and so that's, I think, with how strong he is with his national parks and going into culture uh, and then using um, his film studios for the extra tourism, it just, he just feels really good to do a culture game with him. Yeah, I, uh, I feel like, Khmer is the same way for me right now. You play oh, really? Khmer with Void Singers. It feels like you're cheating your way into a tourism win. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, because you get to stack two relics in one building, right? That's true, yeah. And if you go reliquaries early on, it just gets insane. I always always forget how strong reliquaries are. I did that with uh Russia recently. Um and and uh it it just feels i don't know super i don't go religion either i i still in doing my on my stream i'm doing an a to z challenge which is all the leaders sequen- sequentially from a to z and yeah, i haven't done sure, a religious yeah. victory yet cuz mm-hmm. i find that more <laughs> the most boring i even find it more boring than diplo victory um and so at least with diplo victory you know you're trying to like manipulate the game to win whereas i don't know religious victory is just it's a more tedious version of domination. I feel like. See, that's really interesting to me because a religion is always central to my domination victories. Right. Okay. Yeah, and so hearing that alternative play style is fascinating. Um, 
I, I really don't think that either is wrong. I just right. always get excited about completely different uh, opinions. Exactly. Um, are you are, are you omitting a religion in your cultural play styles as well? Yeah. I generally oh, don't. Interesting. I don't know if, because um, especially since I play on deity, it is, mm-hmm. unless you're playing, you know, Russia, uh, sometimes Philip, now Byzantium, you know, sometimes it's really hard to get a religion on deity. Even like there are times where even if you chop out a great prophet, uh it's it can still be really hard to get one um and so most of the times even on my culture games which is probably why my culture games still aren't that fast i just don't even care about trying to get a religion i just get the holy sites for the for the faith for the naturalists and rock bands at that point mm-hmm. well sometimes that's all you need right you know the the religious tourism win is never necessary i just find that it exactly. can be beneficial yeah. similar to uh to domination that's that's one of my gripes about the religious win condition in civ 6 mm-hmm. is that i find it an interesting win con but i find it more interesting to use a religion to catapult yourself into a secondary win condition yeah i can see that um i really like the micromanagement of the religious game but I, the I, okay, movement yeah, mechanics are so clunky Yes, I will say that. That's that's a good point. I do like micering like my apostles around with the gurus right behind them and getting them into the right positions, but yeah, it just feels bad. Yeah, it does. I just wish one minor improvement that would change so much mm-hmm. is if you could put religious units into escort formation. Mm-hmm. It, it's why I hate playing as Spain because you want to be stacking <laughs> yes. your units, right? But you can't yes. put them, you can't actually link them. Yes, exactly. It drives me batty. <laughs> so you just have like 50, 50 apostles sitting there and you can't, they're, they're just taking up so much space in, in your religion side of things that you're like, oh man, I don't, there's just, there's no room. Yeah, there's no room. So like if you could put them into escort formation with military units and if you could right. form religious cores and armies, mm-hmm. I would be such a happy little camper. I yes. really, really would. Wholeheartedly agree there. So that's, that's co- like, oh, sorry, I was gonna say, I don't know if that's like the main reason why I get like really annoyed at it because it is kind of clunky, but uh, I, I think that would be an amazing update to it or at least at least give you like a little bit more of, a, of an option when it comes to religious victory. Yeah, I think it would streamline things for a lot of people. And I think part of it is, you know, um, they've kind of built the religious game in Civ Six to where if you're not setting out with a, massive horde of units that can flank and support each other then you're toast right because yes. one, one religious unit in this game is kind of worthless right uh, exactly even if it has debater on it if you're in enemy territory and you get flanked by three or four that unit no longer matters exactly and so being able to create like little religious stacks of doom where you could like like you do with your military <laughs> units would be really really nice. I like that name, religious. It sounds like it's very applicable to religious sects of doom. <laughs> yeah, if I remember right, it's a it's a holdover from Civ Four, Civ mm-hmm. Three. When I, I, was, when I used four, to be yeah. playing that, yeah, where you could have an entire army on one square tile. <laughs> <laughs> That's that. If there's anything that. I am so glad that they changed because I, I stopped playing four for a little bit, like once five came out and I realized how much I didn't enjoy 
your entire army being on one hex tile. It wasn't even a hex. It was a square tile. I was like, all right, that's probably one of the best changes they've done in a, a very it's long a time. Great change. It really is because one of my favorite things about a turn-based strategy game is that it is, it is as much about timing as it is about positioning. Right. And all of the thought and effort they've put into support bonuses flanking bonuses adjacency but none of it would matter yes. if they still had that mechanic exactly yes that that mechanic alongside or sorry that change alongside the uh the change to hex hexagon tiles i think that's i mean that that's kind of how all strategy board games are going anyways but mm -hmm. that's it's just such a good change yeah i really do so thirdly and lastly if there was and you may have already answered this just now. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Civ is not the only game you play. We've already talked about Park Attack. I mentioned right. earlier that you also stream Dota 2, um, some rare StarCraft 2, and some Jackbox. Uh -huh. But, like, if, if, you were, if you were to tell someone, like, what's the one thing that keeps you coming back to Civ 6? Like, what's that one magical thing that really does it for you in this game? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, I could I could dare say make the 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 easy argument and say that I'm really good at the game, so that's why <laughs> I, I do that. But I think like outside of that, even if I didn't play, you know, on deity and, and try to, I like to call it uh, speed running the because I feel like people who play on deity, especially a lot of the content creators, are more or less like speed running the game um, because they're trying to you know beat it on the hardest difficulty as fast as possible. Uh, I, I think outside of that, it would be um I, I it's a it's a game that causes you to to think uh in different ways as each game is even if it's like a similar end each game is going to be different right there's there's going to be a uh, a different win condition um there's going to be you know different ai even if it's the same we're at like what 50 ai now i think um even if it's going to be one of those 50 that you've played against you don't know how they're going to react you don't know if they're going to declare war on you, you know, you don't think they're going to be an ally. Uh, there's so many different variables that keep the game interesting that, mm -hmm. that causes the, the game to be fun and, and the game to be super replayable, I guess. I guess replayability is probably the biggest, would be the biggest word there, right? Because there are some strategy games that, um, even though it's more of an RTS strategy game, a good example is Anno 1800 uh, or the mm -hmm. Anno series. I really enjoyed Anno 1800 when I played it and I probably sunk about 80 hours into it. And after after that, I'm like, I can't. I don't think there's anything left for this game. Even if the, there's the new expansions that come out, which is the same exact game, just in a different setting, right? With like more resources that you have to get. It it doesn't change the fact that your game is more or less going to be the same every single time. Um, so I think with Civ, it's just a a replayability of it where you don't know. Even if you kind of have like you know some idea in your head how it's going to turn out, you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. You know, you could be play the game and then uh, you're 20 turns in and uh, Gilgamesh spawns right next to you and you forget to friend him on turn one and then he you know you have 30 war cards next to you. So <laughs> you know, or you spawn as Russia in Tundra way against way away from everyone else and you're like, all right, I have the best start I've ever had in my entire life. Right. Yeah. Replayability is definitely built in to mm -hmm. the game. And yeah. uh, one of the things that I love about the game, piggybacking off of the points you brought up, mm -hmm. is that the game rewards you yeah. for playing each game as if it is brand new. If you react to the map and react right. to what's going on around you, react to what's different, right. it rewards you for that. 
Yeah. If you if you're stubborn and play the same strategy <laughs> every time, it will definitely punish you. Right, exactly. But if you I mean that that does kind of happen. There are times where I will do like seven straight domination games in a row and mm-hmm. I'll be like, okay, once I hit, you know, modern era, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to get bombers, I'm going to uh get bombers, I'm going to get a couple cav units and then bomb their cities, take the city with the cav unit and then do the next the same thing for the next like 30 turns until the end of the game, you know. Yeah. So I, I can see that. So it is, it is nice. It, I guess that's another good thing. It's like the side alongside the replayability aspect. Um, there are, there's so much variation, even though there are only, you know, a finite number of win conditions, there is variation that keeps you coming back. Yeah, for sure. I find sometimes though, that I still have to create artificial or intentional variety for myself sure um and circling back to what you said about speed runs uh the a combination of those two things people's Mm -hmm. desire for speed runs and needing variety is is why i started doing these added achievements in our challenge Mm -hmm. games because Mm -hmm. a lot of the people in the community are all about it and i'm one of them i i i want to see uh you know okay religious win in 124 turns can i do better (laughs) than that you know like i i always have those numbers in my head and so sometimes it's fun to to stretch the game out a little bit and see if you can meet these secondary achievement conditions as well and and try to you know to to realize that speed is not the only important thing now, caveat to that, right, is that if you are, if you're streaming regularly and you're uh-huh. producing content regularly, then you, of course you're trying to complete your games as quick as possible because you probably yeah. want that stream to be a complete game. Yeah, you know? exactly. And once you take in added uh, time into account where you're not actually playing the game, you're thanking people for subscribing or you're talking to your regular watchers, you right. know, it, it all adds up. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm sure you know who he is, but uh, the, the game mechanic was talking about this on the other on the stream the other day um, when I was watching and he someone was asking him to play. Um, I, don't, I honestly don't remember like what Civ it was. It was some Civ in like some specific way on like marathon mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he had a exact same type of point where he, he would have a, probably still have a lot of fun doing it, but on stream, that's not a fun way to watch a stream, right? As a content creator, even though you are, you know, you're streaming whatever game you want, there are times where, not to say that you're beholden to your audience, um, but there are obvious things as a content creator that you're like, okay, this is not fun to watch. Like myself personally, like I would not want to watch someone playing on marathon mode you know where it takes 34 turns to build a settler and i'm being like you know hyperbolic obviously but um it's just some of those things where as you're saying speed run not necessarily speed running it but get it you know trying to play as fast as possible as efficient as possible is really uh conducive for a streaming environment um especially for one as myself a lot of people kind of call me (laughs) well not necessarily call me but they talk about how fast i play on stream um Mm -hmm. and a good comparison is uh the difference between myself and uh, another deity streamer peppermint butler he is he plays relatively fast um but he is very thorough and thinks about you know his strategy a little bit more i mean that's that's how i learned how to play culture really well is through peppermint um and he definitely thinks about things a little bit more than i do um i 
especially, I think it's probably because I come from an esports background too. So I'm kind of just like, I want to go fast all the time. Uh, and so I end up oh, just gotcha. like, you know, having yeah. to like, I'm like, oh, how can I do this as fast as possible while still engaging the community while still building, being entertaining. And so that, that definitely pops up a lot while streaming. Yeah. Well, I feel you there. I mean, I have <laughs> next okay, action and next turn mapped to buttons on my mouse. I'm with oh, you. Really? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let's go. I don't, I don't have time to move my cursor down to click next turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you I've know? thought about, I've never done it. I've, I've just like, did, it's so ingrained into my head that I've never gotten around to just making like a, a keybind for it. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. I have a, um, I've got a RX 80, uh, trackball mouse. Oh, it's, okay. a, it's a six button. Uh -huh. Um, and so like right next to my left click, I've got next action and next turn. I see. That makes sense. I hit, I just hit enter. So I think that's probably why, cause I have almost always have my left hand on my end, like right next to my enter. So that's probably just about the same amount of work there. I guess I do have a key bind technically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, for you, it's a different hand for me. I yeah. just slide over, but you know, to each their own. I just, by the way, I love this mouse. I cannot recommend, uh, recommend enough. Or uh, yeah, ex ex six, not ex eight, but yeah. I just have a I have a Logitech MX five eighteen. I used to be a Razer person for a long time. I mean, I have a I'm still using a Razer headset that I've had for years, and then uh, some like Black Widow keyboard. Um, but uh, I ended up getting a uh, actually it was uh, one of my one of someone that I ha from my stream a long two years ago um got me an mx518 logitech mx518 i never used it it's kind of, it, it felt really bulky when i first started using it but after getting it's used heavy. to it i know it is heavy yeah, it's yeah. really heavy yeah um it, especially since i you know i've talked about the esports background playing playing starcraft for a very long time i was really into lightweight lightweight mice um and so mm -hmm. with this it feels very heavy. after getting used to it it's like you know it feels amazing but like before it took it definitely took a few months for me to be like okay this is a heavy mouse. <laughs> I need to get used to it. Yeah, I just I got tired of moving my hand altogether, man. That's why yeah. I went the uh, the trackball route, the trackball route un yeah. under the thumb, and it's just it's so good. I'm a uh, I'm a designer and draftsman in my uh, real life, okay. and so when I'm when I'm working, I'm at mm -hmm. the computer for eight hours a day minimum, yeah. right? And so I just I couldn't move my arm and hand anymore. It was just it was driving me crazy. No, so, I get that. Just just moving my thumb is a lot better and makes Civ a lot more enjoyable too. Oh, I'm sure. I have a uh, I have carpal tunnel in my wrists. Uh, that's from my my StarCraft days. Uh, but like when I was doing physical therapy for a long time ago, they suggested to that was one of the suggestions is to get a, a trackball instead of using a, a mouse. And I was like, I'll think about. I mean, obviously, I never did, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you've still got time to think about it. You're not dead yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think let's take a quick break here and then let's circle back around and uh, get some quick thoughts on what you think about the last set of updates we got with Byzantium Gaul and Dramatic Ages. Sound good? S sounds good to me. All right. See you back in a bit. And we are back. Okay, so we've had some time to live with Byzantium and Gaul for a bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and Dramatic Ages as well. So you hit on Byzantium earlier, mm -hmm. and I love them as well. I'm also a huge fan of Gaul under Ambiorix. And, yes. and basically, all I'm seeing online right now is 
Byzantium is OP. They're the greatest. And then, no, Gaul is the best. I thought they were going to be terrible, but they're so much better than Byzantium. So let's both pick sides sure. so that the internet can tell us that we're wrong. Sounds fantastic. Uh, <laughs> what's <laughs> what's your thoughts on these new sieves, man? What, um, do you, what do you think? Yeah, so I can, I'll can i give you straight away that uh, I think Gambiorix, the Gaul, are in the, maybe not top five best sieves, but they're up there. Um, and I think Byzantium uh, can be a very strong sieve. Uh, if you, I think they can be super strong if you get them how they're supposed to be played. But if you don't, they just become a normal civilization. Those Absolutely. Are my, those are my uh, thoughts on that. I, I couldn't agree more with, with either of that. I mean, we could, we could end this now, pack up and go home. <laughs> All right. Um, podcast done. Let's go. <laughs> yep. Later. Bye, bye, bye. You know, it's interesting. Uh, if you... There are three specific things you have to do as Byzantium. Yes. Before you can actually get the ball rolling. Yeah, right? exactly. You have to get a religion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to get to your tagma right. under monarchy. Yes. Um, and you need to get hippodromes up and running. Right. And th- those three things are kind of scattered about in the trees, you know? Yeah. That's, and uh... I f- oh, God. I feel like the early game for them is deceptively difficult based mm-hmm. on how easy they are once you get the ball rolling. Yes, that's that's the big thing. That's one big thing. Uh, I on my stream when they came out, I spent an entire day trying to get them started, and I couldn't get them going. Uh, and so I just oh, played no. the goal. Yeah, I literally spent because I stream five hours a day, and so I literally spent five hours. I think I did like seven different restarts, and I couldn't get them going. Uh, so I played the goal. And of course, you know, the first, the, the next time I tried to play him, the first game I got was like a, a steamroll. But um, it, it's exactly as you say, is that the thing with Byzantium is you have to get them going and you have to, they, they still thrive on early war if you get the conditions that you need to get. Like you can't just do a typical, I mean, you could if you're going to play that route, but uh, play them to their strengths. You can't just do a typical like classical era, you know, get your encampment down, get a get a great general, get political philosophy and oligarchy and go to war because it just doesn't work with them. Because mm-hmm. if you want to get a religion, you have to get your holy site down. So, I mean, that takes up a district slot, which means you can't get your encampment down first, which means you can't get a campus. <laughs> it, it, it can be really hard. <laughs> Yeah, it can be. And I'm one of those that, you know, I view the early game as, uh, I view it a bit like a triangle. Okay. Right? So in the in the early game, you've got three things to do. Mm-hmm. You can expand quickly, go to war, or found a religion. Sure. And I think that you can have two of the three. Okay, yeah. Can you can that. expand and have a religion, or expand and go to war, or have a religion and go to war. Gotcha. But you can't expand, have a religion, and go to war early on. Does that that's, make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. And then with 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 uh with Basil, you kind of have to do that all three of them. You kind of have to. And it's interesting to me. I feel like the devs understand this a little bit because they include that extra great profit point, right? Which I appreciate, but they. I still don't know, man. If you're up against the wrong sieves, like if you've got Ethiopia and Arabia and Spain right, in your right. game, that may be a turn 40, 50 reload. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, I even in the first gameplay, which is funny because the first game that I played with him almost worked, but I had a, 
I had Scythia as my neighbor. She was my next door neighbor. And that's like one of the worst, worst civs you can have as your neighbor uh, being going domination because it's just like, well, she's going to have a million horses and I can't do anything about it. <laughs> and so it was that, that good example of where I even, I got a religion, you know, I, I was trying to, to abuse his taxes ability. I was trying to, you know, use the spreading the religion. Um, and it just didn't matter because she was too strong. And so w- with that, that's a good example. And also another example is what you're, you're pointing out there. The, the game I ended up winning with him. Uh, that was the, the game that I won, but it almost, not necessarily didn't work out. I had to kind of do classical domination in the beginning or normal domination in the beginning because Scotland was my neighbor. Uh, he was really, really close, like 10 tiles away. And I got a religion, but the thing is that he didn't get a religion. Um, he didn't get a religion, so I didn't have any extra bonuses when going to war. And then the next neighbor was the Congo. <laughs> and so two two of the two of the seven other civs that I was fighting against, I was useless. Like I, my religious oh, wow. warfare didn't matter because one didn't get a religion, and two the second one doesn't get a religion. So it didn't even matter that I had religious, you know, uh, abilities. Uh, so that was, it was hard taking those two at first, but then after I, you know, t- I took them over and got my economy and everything going, I started going to war with everyone else. And that's when yeah. the, uh, the full damage to walls starts to take effect with your cavalry. Yeah, it does. Did you, um, did you not take crusade? I, uh, I game? took, uh, I did take crusade. Um, so that was helpful, oh, okay. but it's that, uh, that extra, you know, the, the combat strength and the full damage to walls just you don't get that damage to walls when you're until going later. To get someone that yeah. doesn't have a religion, right? So, um, yeah. It was, well, I mean, yeah. you just you just got to go convert them, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's unfortunate because like if you're if Scott like Scotland and Congo they didn't found a religion, so you didn't you weren't able to go convert their holy cities and get that plus three for each of them. Exactly. So you're sitting on like in the early game, and this is this is a, a ridiculous thing to say. You can only say it about Byzantium. Yes, you only had a plus thirteen combat yeah, bonus only. <laughs> yeah. in, in, instead of the plus nineteen you could have had. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, that's a huge deal, especially when you're fighting against on deity because deity AI already gets that extra combat strength in general. So mm-hmm. with with oligarchy, you know, you're almost at on par against them, and so that extra comp, that like extra few points, always matters then. And so uh, w- with that, it was still one of those things where, I, even though I got a religion and, and got it going, it was still difficult in the early game. But like once, as, as we stated before, once you get them going, I think it's I think it's right around the medieval era is when you really maybe medieval into in, into Renaissance is when you really feel the the strength of them when you when you start to take over maybe your third or fourth civ and you're like, all right, my, my cavalry are doing an insane amount. Like their walls don't even matter anymore because I'm just plowing right through them. Right. Absolutely. I'm thankful to hear you uh, bring up oligarchy regularly because I hear so many people think that autocracy is the way you, way you go early war. No. I'm like, no. no, autocracy is when you want to hang out and build wonders exactly. and, and stay alone. That plus yeah. four damage, o- plus four extra damage. It's amazing. Yeah. Even, um, you know, even if you're Byzantium and you're going cavalry, that extra 20% experience is mm-hmm. just so handy. Yeah, the, the tw- experience. I think it's probably one of those things where um, if you're not like reading too much into what the each of the governments give you, they just see the two military pl- policy slots and you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's right. domination. It's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's plus 25%. Yes. 
production to wonders. Yes. And if you slap in the right card. I will I will say the the hippodrome. I wasn't expect I was thinking about it and I, I was kind of uh along the side of that a lot of people were of being like, I don't care about the hippodrome. Like it's it is out of the way, it doesn't matter. But I didn't realize how many free cavalry units I was going to be getting out of it. Um Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? And and the main reason why I didn't think about it is because I, I talked about this. Um, I, I did the I did a React video today to on to the, what's it called the new October release, and they talked about. Um, I don't know if you've watched it, and I don't know if you want me to spoil the <laughs> the the video. Oh no, I mean I've 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 watched it. Okay. I, I figured we would talk about it a little bit. Yeah. I think I think your your video is going to hit before this drop. So okay. I mean, talk about whatever you want. Sure. Uh, I'll just I'm just going to br- touch onto that briefly. But they they talked about some of the changes to AI priority to districts, uh, mostly just the holy mm-hmm. site one. But I had mentioned in that video that the AI almost always seem to build one of two districts when you when you're playing against them, either a holy site or an entertainment complex. Um, and the entertainment complex is. I'm gonna say it. I'll say it here. I I think it's a useless district. <laughs> I don't. I think it's like fine for what it is, but it's just I. The only time I ever build it is because of the change of the change to amenities and the, um, the adjacency bonuses they give to theater squares. Uh, so mm-hmm. so with that, that I always like oh hippodromes. I don't care whatever. But then I realized after playing Byzantium, since the AI build a ton of entertainment complexes in the first place you're going to be having all of these free hippodromes and then you're just going to be pumping out cavalry as you take city after city after city. And you're like, okay, that's actually a fair point because I think at the end of that game, I had so many Togma that I just, I didn't know what to do with it. And I realized, oh, this is just a Togma printing press. Yeah. And it's cheaper to build an arena than it is to build a Tagma. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I was trying to incentivize uh, similar revelations and a similar play style in the last challenge game uh-huh. there's a there's a achievement to where you can't train any cavalry outright Ooh. you have to get all of your heavy cav Ooh. from hippodrome and their buildings that's pretty cool that's a good challenge yeah it was fun i mean you can build horsemen if you want yeah. right but just like getting all of your heavy cav and it was uh it was a fun playthrough um because as i was going through it i realized my tagma were really precious to me mm-hmm. because I couldn't train anymore. Oh, okay. That's a good point. And so I was really focusing on the positioning and keeping them healed up and yeah. um, made me made me play really strategically, and I enjoyed that. Yes, I agreed. There, there's one thing, actually, that I think a lot of people didn't talk about, and people are only starting to realize now after playing Byzantium for a while, is after your classical era, you're probably never going to get a normal age. You're always going to have golden ages after that. I, I think yeah. that's something that was kind of overlooked. People were just focusing on the, and I was, I'm guilty of it too, just focusing on every other aspect, not realize, realizing that you're going to be getting era score every time you take a city or every time you take, like, convert. It's just constant era score. Yeah, the the and that's embedded in converting a city that you're at war with right that's what does it and uh it's it's thank you for mentioning that's another achievement that i built into the last game was never enter a dark age yeah yeah, exactly and it's like you know yeah because it's it's actually easy to do um because you get so much era score for converting a city that like that belongs to an empire you're fighting right and you just do that without thinking about it right. as byzantium like you almost need to turn off the religious victory condition 
in order to win a domination win. Exactly. I mean, that's what happened in my Byzantium win is that I was, because I was taking over so many cities and I wasn't even paying attention. And I looked over and I saw that my, like the, the religious score was, I don't remember how many cities were left to convert, but it was, I think it was at around like 85% converted. And I was like, oh, I need to take these last two capitals before I win inadvertent religious game. Yeah, for sure, man. Now, all that being said, and I agree with you about how great of a civilization they are, I I gotta admit, not only do I think that Gaul is a perfect counterpoint mm-hmm. to Byzantium, I think they're more interesting and dynamic and more fun to play. Wholeheartedly. I the the fun to play aspect, I since I'm such a warmonger, I'll still stay with uh Byzantium sure. because it's so For much sure. fun to just, you know, hippodrome printer go burr and, and take over cities. But <laughs> but I will wholeheartedly agree with you there, which is why I rank uh Ambiorix almost in the top five civs of that not my not my my top five favorites are way different than the top like the best civs. Like he's definitely up there in the top five best civs for sure. And it's I'm the same of way because yeah. of of his yeah. as you were saying. Uh, he's super dynamic, like very very dynamic. Yeah, I mean you. A, a lot of people early on and 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 potentially even before they got their hands on the sieve to actually play were just like uh-huh. ooh new S tier culture sieve like new S tier culture sieve and it's like no <laughs> you've got production and culture you can do yes. anything you want literally anything and no one can stop you from doing it because they can't get into your cities yeah exactly that that's uh you you have three districts of defense right you have your city center you have your encampment uh, and then you have your industrial zone and they all can shoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I was telling Moy last week, like you, you thought that, uh, Russia was hard to attack. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you've got Victor in the right city, you've got six shots. Oh man. I didn't even think about that. Putting Victor in there with his, with his promotion. Exactly. Right. That's pretty insane. Yeah. I just, I don't know, man. They're, they're one of those sieves where they, and this is sometimes difficult to explain, but it makes sense in my sure. ridiculous head. <laughs> there are sieves that are powerful, but uh-huh. you can't really notice it on the surface. Okay, yeah. Playing Gaul, you know that they are powerful and you feel it. When you that, yeah. when you look at the raw production coming out of your city, when you realize how quickly you can get that Petra... Or how quickly you can get a one-turn frigate. You you (laughs) feel how powerful they are. And it makes it very, very rewarding to play as them. Um, Yes. You know, I had the suspicion that they were going to be a really fantastic science sieve. um, or, Or Diplo, right? Because they... You, you've got the production, the culture, the, the, and, uh, all of this can springboard into science or Diplo. And it's true. I mean, they're just so versatile. Um, yeah, I love it. I've also found that, uh, cause I was playing a, um, my first game with them, uh, diplomacy was not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> it, it just, I was just getting, I was just getting spanked by, uh, yeah. um, by Poundmaker. Okay. And uh, I forgot to tell you earlier, I love them too. That Mechawap improvement, I think, is yes. one of the best unique improvements in the game. I, th- I think, so. yeah, a little side discussion. I think, uh, I think Poundmaker is one of the most underrated civs 
in Civ Six. Yeah, I don't. I don't think people uh, focus. I don't think people lean into playing the Cree enough. Right. Exactly. They don't really lean into managing their alliances and benefiting from them well. Right. Um, dude, uh, Poundmaker, Owls of Minerva, good game. <laughs> yeah, that's it's another. It, it can tie back right into Ambiorix. Is that with with Poundmaker? He's another sieve where you can almost nearly do anything with him as well, and and so that's why probably why I think I rate him so high. Yeah, I agree. I really like these sieves that are that are kind of like Swiss Army knives, uh, but they mm-hmm. but they don't feel like they're weak. You know, right. um, it's like they can be a jack of all trades, master of none, kind of, but like they're still really good. Yes. Um. Anyway, this uh, this Gallic game, I just realized that I was going to get spanked on Diplo and just pivoted into raw culture. And I, I realized early on that once I understood the district placement mechanic, uh-huh. all of those rings around your city center, well, of course, put your housing districts there, put your wonders there. Yeah. That's where those exactly. go. And once you lean into how the devs are trying to tell you how to play that sieve, I felt like it was great. It was almost on autopilot once I finally right. figured it out. That's a, that's a fantastic point that it, it is once you realize that, oh, I shouldn't, I mean, you can't build anything in the first ring, but uh, aside from, you know, uh, uh, spaceports, um, y- you, you realize, oh, I put all of the tile improvements in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and then I district from there. Yeah. Or, um, and you can't put housing districts there. Um, you can't put yes, a you yes. know aqueduct neighborhood, or it's like oh, settle next to where you can put the pyramids, and and yes. then put your theater square and your entertainment district in ring two, and right. you know it's a bit like um, I find them to be very similar to the Mali philosoph- uh, philosophically. Uh-huh. They require that you really buy into the way the developers want you to play that sieve, right? And a lot of people resist that. But I find it to be a lot of fun because it breaks me out of habits, you know, that I'm <laughs> yeah. that I might use on, um, on other civilizations, on the majority of civs. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one place I really can't follow the devs with completely yet is dramatic ages. Uh-huh. I'm still. Yeah. I am. Uh, yeah, still on the fence about this one. What are your thoughts, man? I, I don't like it. Um, I'll get into that. Can, actually, I can I, I wanted to I want to talk a little bit more about Ambiorix. Oh yeah, okay. so sorry, That's, man. There's something ahead. else yeah. I wanted. To, no, yeah, you're I fine. should have asked. There, there's one thing that like a lot of people. I, I think why I read it, rate them so high with the you know your ability to. We talked about it that you can do anything. Is that we we touched on it earlier in that the early game. Um, I I think a lot of people underestimate how much early game matters, uh, and and the fact that you can get free culture in two different ways with them right you get free culture by you know building mines uh and your mines give you culture and so if you have like a lot of grassland hills around you you have food culture and production Mm -hmm. um, which is what you need you know to get a really strong city so that's like one source of uh culture but then there's another source that people don't necessarily inherently think of as culture is the is that culture bomb that you get from that right right you get your uh at minimum like you know two extra tiles but sometimes up to four uh tiles surround you know from culture bombing that and how do you get you know how do your borders expand either by buying them so gold so you can so by building one mine you can either you know basically gain maybe we'll call it like 400 gold worth or a couple hundred worth of culture (laughs) in in one tile improvement 
And the fact that you can do that over and over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, you can chain it, right? And then your passive yeah. culture generation is going towards picking up other tiles. Exactly. Yeah, I, I find myself settling my cities further apart when I play golf. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, further apart and then kind of just using your uh, using your unique ability to expand your borders uh, with that, you know, by gaining more territory that way. Yeah. Um, and then another thing too is that uh, on top of that, because of how much I prioritize, especially now that I've learned how strong it is, especially how much I prioritize culture in the early game, um, culture in the early game is probably more, I wouldn't say it's more important, mm, almost more important than science in the early game. Uh, because getting to your, getting to political philosophy is probably one of the most important things that you can do return, you know, by turn 50. Um, and so with the fact that you get free culture with him, it just makes it insane. Right. Because outside of uh, a good example is with pantheons outside of religious settlements and, uh, earth goddess. The other strongest ones are probably the culture ones, right? Like culture from plantations or, or culture from pastures. Um, and that actually, a lot of people are like, oh, it's only one to two culture, but one to two culture when you're only gaining 1.6 culture per turn is literally double your culture output. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people kind of discount that and don't think about how strong that is. And I think that's almost even more stronger than his units, if I'm, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Uh, I, I would agree with that. I think that the, um, the Gezete is a decent unit. I yeah. like it. The adjacency mm-hmm. thing is nice, but, um, it's the, it's the way he deals with the map that I love so right. much. And it's all tied in with exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it kind of goes back to how you were talking about how you, how you phrased it was like, you know, you know that they're strong and it's one of those things with them where their strength isn't apparent immediately. It's almost like the uh, like the engine of how they run is what makes them super strong. Is is their mechanics more than like you know, with them you look at you see the the gaysete or however you pronounce the unit you see it and you're like oh that's unit that's the reason why they're strong. It's like actually that's not no it's that, not. it is a very strong unit. It can be strong, but it's not the reason why they're strong. Yeah, and you want to build at least two of them. Yeah, at least. <laughs> yeah, that's you know that actually brings up another point. Um, any civilization that gets era score on turn one is better than a civilization that doesn't. Yeah. And AKA Monty. <laughs> and it's, it's Gaul and Aztec. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's true. It's just, uh, it's a, it's, I love the unique, uh, I love the unique art of the, uh, Gazette mm. and the animations. If you don't have quick yeah. combat turned on. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't looked at that yet. I have quick combat and quick movement turned on. I've had that. On since Civilization Five. <laughs> well, I have too, but every time they release a new Civ, I, I do like oh. to see if they have a unique animation to their units. And that's a fantastic the, point. The Gazette have some unique animations to them, and they're a lot of fun. That's cool. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. The only time I ever turn it off is when I'm doing like something dramatic, like nuking a city or whatever. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Stream. Yeah. I just you know once again we were talking about speeding up play, and I find that that's uh-huh. one of the easiest ways to do it. Oh, absolutely. Is to just enable quick movement and quick combat. Especially when it gets to, to late game and it, even with it on, sometimes it can take a full minute for the, the AI to do their stuff. Oh, absolutely. And bombers without it turned on, it's cool. I get oh, it, yeah. but come on, y'all. <laughs> Literally 30 seconds for a, a unit to do their thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, 
So anything else uh, on uh, Ambiorix? Nope. Just, uh, I mean, I think we basically touched on it. They're they're easily top five Civ. Maybe maybe top, there could be an argument that they could be top like like six or seven. Um, but I I think I have them in my top five for best Civ in, in Civ six. Yeah, I have to agree, man. Now, dramatic ages. Can we? <laughs> add, what are we? What are they going to do to rebalance this? Because my goodness. Uh, maybe maybe not make the city. Um, maybe not make your uh your first city flip if it if you get a dark age, um, at least on D eighty because that's why I haven't played it since. Because uh, the first game I played it, I went into classical era dark age, lost my first city that I settled, and that just is on D eighty. It's game over. You can't. No you way. literally can't do anything. Yeah. You, you literally lost, can't do anything. So you lost your capital. Oh no, not my capital. My uh they they um I talked with I think it was Carl was on stream the other day. Yeah. And was saying that your capital will not flip okay. uh, on dramatic ages. It was the first city that I had settled. So I had oh, settled gotcha. the city. Yeah, yeah. Settled the first city. And I mean to be fair, I also had Eleanor nearby, but she wasn't close enough where it would matter for loyalty pressure. Mm-hmm. So it, it was one of those things where it flipped and I uh she I think I had I was playing a cult no. I was playing Byzantium. So I was playing Byzantium on dramatic ages and got a dark age and it, you can't, at least on deity, it's probably easier on other, uh, speeds and or difficulties, but you just, you can't do anything. Cause then you have to spend the next 30 turns trying to get your city back. And at that point, when your city flips, the AI is the free city is going to have swordsmen and you have like a warrior and two archers so it's it it's just it's unplayable if you, if it if you get your city flipped yeah i agree i think losing 40% of your empire is too much <laughs> yes yeah i will wholeheartedly agree with that I, I i think it's cool i think it's a cool idea um i know that it's funny because i've often hearkened on my stream being like Civilization six needs to be harder because on deity it's not hard enough. Because I, I will say Civ five deity is way harder than Civ six deity. I, I I will say it right now. It's way harder. Um, 100%. that may be a hot take. Agreed. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I it may be. I just may happen to agree. But I do. I found fa- yeah. I found Civ uh, five deity to be really really challenging. Yeah. Um, Especially I I I just did a, a throwback stream of Civ five throwback. Yeah, stream with Casmer. And- yeah. Yeah, and it was one of those things where I think probably the the difficulty lies in the um the early game of Civ Five because the the linear side you know it is very linear but it is so much more punishing mm-hmm. and so I've always hearkened on stream being like Civ Six needs to be more difficult and then <laughs> Carl uh and, and for those that don't know Carl is uh he is borderline he is the lead QA uh on from Firaxis. He pops in a lot of content creator streams, and he was like, "Just wait." He 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 said that when Dramatic Ages came out, he was listening to me complaining about it, and he was thinking in the back of his head, "Oh, just wait until you play Dramatic Ages." And oh wow, it is really so hard. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> so funny! How interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of Firaxis, we've got a lot of interesting stuff coming down the pipe from them, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we've got. Uh, Pirates, my goodness! And I believe you said you're you're gonna do a uh, a reaction video as well, yeah? Yeah, I actually I think it just I think it's just finished processing and everything as we are in the middle of uh of talking. Well, nice. How <laughs> how a la minute, <laughs> right? <laughs> so what? Uh, don't want to spoil too many things uh, uh, before that, and I think I'll I'll go check it out, see if I can link to the video in the show notes here. 
But, um, you know, we don't really have show notes. We don't have too much information yet. But I got to right. say, like, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know about all of these balance changes, but what's your what's your hot take? What's your highs? What's your lows? Uh, the hot take is me, myself, personally. The scenario is cool. I'm never going to play it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people um, that just don't play scenarios, man. Yeah, and the thing is, is that I think it's actually really cool. I think it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fun scenario. Uh, I think for I'm not the target dem- target demographic. Um, I'm the competitive esports player who wants to play and and min max as much as possible. So this is this isn't for me. But I re- I'm really like I think it's cool and I think it's really is- interesting and I'm really glad that they're doing things like this. Yeah. I'm hoping that maybe this lays the groundwork for some further naval units or improvements yeah. in the base game. That would be cool. Yeah. I think the the naval the way the AI uses the naval game might use some some tweaking. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely been a uh a thing since at least I play the most civs that I've played of Civ Five and Civ Six have have a couple thousand hours in Civ Five and Naval Dom was if you wanted to play deity domination, just go Naval Dom because the AI in Civ Five have no idea what they're doing with with ships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really it's really wild. Um, I am curious to see how players and AI alike are going to use this active and passive ability system that the unique yeah, factions have. Cool. Um, you know, I can only imagine that the active abilities are like a momentary like action you can take on a turn. Yeah, maybe they're on a cooldown timer or something. Um, and, uh, passive, I assume are just civ abilities that, that go underneath that. Um, yeah. And this, this relic buff system, I'm, it reminds me of the attunement system from dungeons and dragons. It looks like you you can collect these things and then slot them out to get different bonuses when you need them. I don't know. It's very, very, very curious to me. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And it's actually funny that I brought up Anno 1800 earlier today <laughs> because when I was watching that, that was the first thing that I thought of was Anno 1800. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of like how you can put uh, different uh, items or different people in your ships in Anno 1800 to get like, you know, unique bonuses and things like that. Oh, that's, yeah. That's exactly what I thought of. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that's, uh, I mean, I know that there is Sid Meier's Pirates. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they've gotten a lot of inspiration from that. But I could I could see them pulling inspo from other uh, other games like that as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The first thing that I thought of was, do we get a return of the Civ Five English Ship of the Line? <laughs> yes. English Ship of the Lines are so good. Yeah. I, I, I swear, like, I know that Victoria in Civ Six is already great. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the Sea Dog and give us back yeah, the Ship of the Line. <laughs> Ship of the Line was probably one of the best units in Civ Five. It was easily. whether it was one of the best or not. It was certainly one of my favorites. That and the that <laughs> and the Berber Cavalry. Okay, yeah, Berber Cavalry. You know, I I will say okay, that's that's a lie. Not the it was it wasn't even uh, England's Ship of the Line. England's uh, longbows were were probably one of the best in the game. Yeah, <laughs> with that what plus three range, plus three range. Yeah, it was absolute crazy. I mean that was imagine just... having that in Civ Six on a on a cross or a um, <laughs> second tier archer. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, that would be wild. Um, what do you think about the the other things they added in this video here? The balance changes I think are generally good. It sounds like. Yeah. Um. That's that's what I talked about most in my video because that's 
you know, I, I, I more care about that than the, um, the scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like they could, they, they've talked about, it's funny cause they've talked about it in the, like the last two videos that they did. They talked about it in the last videos, how, how they, you know, they heard a lot of us talking, uh, that's why they created dramatic ages with, cause they hear, they hear all the content creators quote unquote saving their era score, you know, and not going overboard with the era score. And then, then they talk about it in this where they talk, they say the same type of thing where they pay attention to the community and see a, a great example is there's, there's two great examples. And we'll talk about it, but the, the Diplo favor and the neighborhoods or the, the group partisans. Yeah. That's probably something that at least a lot of DAD content creators use and or talk about the most out of all of the changes yeah i agree the um i think the neighborhood district thing really good change and so like where now the neighborhood district gets pillaged after that mission is complete so it can't be spammed awesome yes uh that's that's i hate i hate recruit partisans (laughs) yeah i know and uh what they uh what they said in the video was curious to me. They said the uh, recruit partisans will now only produce anti-cav units so that it will be easier to um, uh, easier to overcome, right? Right. Okay, well, yeah. now you've just admitted that you acknowledge you need to buff the anti-cav promotion tree. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned that in the video. <laughs> I, I didn't like full out say it, but I said something along the lines of, I said it's a really interesting dichotomy when you build a heavy cavalry unit and the best unit to kill that heavy cav is another heavy cav. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something that need, they need to look at there because this is a side thing that we could talk about and I talk about it on stream a lot. I never build anti-cav unless I'm fighting against Scythia. That, that's the only time I'll maybe build like one to two spearmen. But mm-hmm. even then by the time that you're building those spearmen, you're probably going to have swordsmen anyways. So it's just like anti-cav, they need to do something about anti-cav because one, pikemen, they're all the way up in military tactics. That's on the opposite side of the tech tree that you need to get to defend against ha- cavalry. So it's, I don't know. It's it, it needs to be worked. It does. I would so much rather have swordsmen tanking damage with archers doing the DPR because it's so much more effective. You have to put so many promotions into anti-cav to make them viable. Yeah. I only train them when there's a city-state mission to build one. (laughs) There you go, yeah. It says train a spearman. You're like, oh, I guess I gotta do it. I guess I gotta do it. Oh, no. Guess I gotta get you those envoys. Yep. How, how about this uh, change to Grand Columbia, also a subject of internet consternation? Uh, it seems like that uh, was... I think it's needed. You do? Interesting. Uh, but I don't... It, it depends on what they do. Gotcha. Um, I think even since I first played them, um, there's something needs to change. Uh, it doesn't have to be everything, just just one thing. And I think the three changes that they could do, there's the, either the plus one movement needs to change, the uh the fact that um commandants and great and ge- uh, generals stack that could change uh or the fact that when you are playing as them uh with a siege unit or a range unit you can move attack and promote it all on the same turn one of those threes is probably going to get changed and one suggestion that my my chat and i have come up with is if they're going to change anything is the plus one movement only applies to your continent and not uh, or a continent plus the one that you like you have taken over, for example, oh, and not the entire map. Because I feel like not only is that like, I mean, Teddy has that right with his uh, extra combat strength on his continent. Yeah, but not only is that 
I guess, kind of more fair. It's almost, I guess, historically accurate, right? Because that's, you know, Simon Bolivar, you know, defending Grand Colombia uh, in that area. It's not like he went out, you know, to the rest of the regions and, and conquered everything, right? Um, yeah, he, so he unified and defended his own territory, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those. Um, I think it was needed. I don't, I don't think they're, I mean, there's a reason why they're in my top five. I don't think they need to be overhauled or anything like that. Just like slightly nerfing one of those. Um, I personally think it should be the promote shoot and uh, move in the same turn because that's honestly, if you can do that with a siege unit before you get the level three promotion where you can, you know, do that before you can, you know, level three on the right side of the tree is can move after attacking or Mm -hmm. can attack after moving. Sorry. If you can do that level one, that's honest. I think that's just broken. (laughs) If he can do that and no one else can, like there's, there's a, there's a thing to be said about uh, unique units being able to do that. But if he can, the fact that he can do that with any siege unit, with any ranged unit at any time, uh, and no one else can, on top of being able to move not only with his extra unit, but with the, the commandant generals, it's something needs to change because it's, it's too good. Yeah. My, my hope is that they don't balance them down too much. Like, right. like you said, change one fundamental thing because I feel like after the addition of ethiopia byzantium and gaul <laughs> i feel like yes. there's a place for grand columbia as they exist now in the game just change yeah. something yeah, um i agree i really i really like the list that you and uh in your community came up with i also wondered myself if maybe they'll change the plus if they'll bring something back from uh persia and civ 5 where they only get that plus one movement in a golden age yeah, that would be kind of cool. Either in a golden age, or maybe it's like only plus one movement when you're at war, like something like that. Because um, another thing I brought up too was a lot of people talk about. I think one of, or not maybe not a lot of people, but one of the things that's most obvious with the plus one movement is warfare. Mm-hmm. But uh, something else that isn't necessarily talked about is plus one movement on your settler, and the fact that the early game you can move four tiles with your settler and settle something maybe on turn one or two that would maybe take five to six turns to settle is massive like Mm, that's huge mm -hmm. yeah and you can do that too you get your first settler out it's turn what uh turn 20 something you have your first settler out and the fact that you can cross you know maybe there's a wonder about 15 tiles away and you can get there in three you know three to four turns compared to 10 is is something that's really really huge too and so that that's something that was maybe it doesn't apply to civilian units maybe it only applies to uh, cavalry or something, you know, maybe it only applies to, maybe not cavalry, but, you know, maybe only at war, I, I agree with you, maybe the dramatic, uh, not dramatic ages, the goal, only when you're in a golden age, that would be kind of cool, because it makes it specific to him, but you have to hit a criteria in order to get it. Right. And I think that's a, a good a good way of thinking about that. Yeah. Well, I guess we will uh, find out together next week, huh? Right, yeah. Um, how, do, how do you feel about the... Uh, the the wonders or the the diplo favor well (laughs) i you know i the diplo favor thing i i feel a bit like when they i feel the same as when they changed goddess of the harvest yeah this is like this is where we're at now with always online always able to change games right uh if if it needs a balance it needs a balance i just hope that at some point um, 
there's a uh, there's a saying in my industry is that you have to know when to stop mixing the paint. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and so you 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 put too much paint on one piece of something, and it just makes mud. You know. Um, yeah. I think that there is more good stuff in this change than there is iffy stuff, and I'm not going to say that anything yeah. is a bad idea until I play with it. Um, right. I very much appreciate that they're taking Diplo and vote costs into, uh, they're taking that into account to scale with game speed. Absolutely. I think that that's just a fundamental balance mechanic. If you're going to make a game that has variable speed. Right. And the increased desire for the AI to build wonders like the Oracle or pyramids (laughs) rip Oracle on deity. Yeah. For a deity player. Get out of here, man. That's like, Uh, all right, look, I, I don't consider the great bath to be a wonder. I consider the great bath to be an automatic buff for one of the AI in the game. Right. Okay. So like now we're going to add the Oracle to that list too. I don't know. Um, the pyramids I could live without. Like, I think they're an amazing wonder. I think it's a top tier wonder, but if I don't get it, I'm not like, you know, head over heels. Like, especially if, you know, I'm playing a space or a culture game, I'm like, okay, that extra, you know, builder charge is really nice to have. But Mm -hmm. if I don't get pyramids, it's not the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, Oracle, it's still not the end of the game, but like, you know, stacking Pingala and Oracle in your capital is one of the best ways to combat deity AI, like going culture or science. Absolutely. You know, but not being able to get that. Oh, the same could be said about stacking Liang on top of pyramids to rush those That's science true, yeah. projects, you know? That's very true. I, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, they never say increased desire by 25%, right? Yeah. They just say increased desire. So we'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll, I... We'll have to see what the notes say. Exactly. And the non-religious focus civs being less often to build holy sites, that's fantastic. I think yeah, that I that's, think that's a great. really good change. Yeah, I think all in all... Um, one thing that I like about Firaxis is that even when sometimes they make changes that I can't understand from a design mm-hmm. point of view, right? I know that the studio is well-intentioned and that yeah, yeah. they're trying their best, you know? Um, yeah. and I like, I like having that feeling from them and yeah, that kind of goes into also, or, or comes from. They opened their video today by talking about how they were starting to welcome people back to the office and trying to make sure yeah. everybody was safe. And Exactly. You know, they, they just seem to be good-hearted and well-intentioned, and so they get a lot of, of good faith from me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I'm not, you know, I can't poo-poo these before I actually play them, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I am a little bit concerned. We'll see how it all works out. Yeah, I agree. To I, I think, especially because um, you talked about how you know uh, not over mixing the paint. I'm not sure what the exact analogy was, but you the, you have to know when to stop mixing the paint. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Um, Firaxis does a very good job when it comes to balancing, uh, you know, and implementing changes. And they you could tell there's a lot of thought put into it um, because coming from the esports side of things, from my background there are some specific companies that a lot of people really dislike when it comes to balance changes because they do it specifically just to do it more or less. Mm -hmm. Uh, A good example is Blizzard. Everyone gives Blizzard a lot of crap for, especially Overwatch, just almost balancing for the sake of balancing. And and that kind of goes, same with Riot when it comes to League of Legends. Uh, 
you there there comes a point where it's like okay you've just overbalanced everything and now everything's exactly the same there's no nuance there's no nothing that makes it special anymore and you've just kind of ruined the game almost and Firaxis does a fantastic job in not only one making clear concise reasoning why they made the changes but two you know we touched on it earlier they're obviously paying attention to the community and and they're taking direct feedback from content creators from people on forums things like that and applying it to the game the best way that they can and being transparent about it and i think that's why i mean us as well as a lot of people really like for access as a, as a game de- development company yeah i couldn't agree more i mean the w- what you're saying there is one reason i stopped playing destiny <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've heard a lot of things about that as well yeah and i and i hate that because i used to love the game and uh i don't know there's an update coming out soon i may check it out but now that the the new frontier season pass is going it's like look i've got new stuff every month like yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna be playing civ yeah that's a that's something that um i haven't talked about a lot and i think a lot of people were uh, I, I think the initial there was there was two reactions that I saw when the New Frontier Pass came out. There was, oh, amazing! Another DLC. Let's go! You know, like like myself, I was super excited about it. More Civ content is great. And then there was another side of things where people were like, not necessarily accusing them, but they were like, "You guys are just trying to to milk a cash cow, making making me want to pay forty bucks now for stuff that I don't get immediately." But then if you look at it, I, I if you look at the actual amount of content that you're getting you know on a monthly basis but if you add all of it up it's bigger than gathering storm or rise and fall <laughs> like the amount yeah. of leaders the amount of like civs the amount of game modes mm-hmm. like the amount of free updates that you're getting it's massive like this dlc this new frontier pass is huge yeah <laughs> and it's a lot of content that we're getting and it's so very much worth it yeah and then yeah, on top exactly. of that they're doing multiple balance updates and tweaks throughout it like they're continuing to yeah. support this game exactly it's not like they just like released it and we're like all right have fun yeah (laughs) yeah so i i definitely think it was worth it and you know they've built up faith with the community where a lot of us shelled Mm -hmm. out that 40 bucks you know on day one and i gotta admit it's already been worth it oh yeah it was already worth it with the uh the maya and simone bolivar release i think in my opinion yeah absolutely well just having this too. It's been good, but let's uh I guess we'll uh see what we have uh to play with next week, huh? And <laughs> that's true. Look forward to more stuff coming down the pipe. I hope it lives up to the promise of uh the season pass so far. I, I hope so as well. I'm sure it will. I, they haven't haven't disappointed me yet. Yeah. And again, there's only one way to go for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm looking forward to good things. Well, right. Bose, it's been a pleasure, man. I uh, I will uh, talk yeah. to you soon. I really thank you uh, for giving me your time today. Um, yeah. I got to admit, I've uh, I've had an absolute blast, and hope you've enjoyed yourself as well. Yeah, I had a very good very good time. This is, believe it or not, the first podcast that I've ever done. So I had a had a blast doing it. It was a really good discussion and i enjoyed being here well how about that all right well awesome man uh like i said uh earlier folks uh you can find this guy on the internet uh bose do you want to tell everybody where they can find you specifically oh yeah sure you can find me streaming every wednesday through sunday 12 p.m to 5 p.m pacific time on twitch.tv slash bostheus um you can also find me on youtube which is uh youtube.com slash well if you just search both this on youtube you can find it but i think it's like 
youtube.com slash C slash Bosius, you know, whatever the, the actual URL URL is. And then if you do have Twitter, uh, I have a Twitter account. Um, it is uh, capital T capital L underscore Bosius. So T uh, it's at T L underscore Bosius. The original Bosius was uh, taken because I used to do work for uh, team liquid, the esports company back in the day. And so I changed my handle to TL Bosius and I went to go back and, change it back and someone got that account suspended so <laughs> oh no so i can't change oh, it so it'll forever be unless i unless i just change it to bose it'll be forever be tl <laughs> so that's okay but that's where you can find me at uh twitch youtube and twitter um i am currently uploading a lot more youtube videos as i've hired an editor so uh i should be a lot more um yeah, a lot more active on there. Oh, man. Well, all right. So Civ 6 Challenge League, you hear that? This guy just got an Absolutely. editor. He he's got, he needs <laughs> some help. Let's get after it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, all right. And, of course, I'm Vector Cat. You can find me on the internet. Bose, it's been a pleasure, man. Look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care, buddy.